Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. Happy Father's Day, by the way, right? Happy Father's Day. Yes. Yes. Happy Father's Day. It reminds me of the story, uh, uh, the dad who came home from work and wanted to teach. He had uh, four children, four daughters, wanted to teach his children a lesson. So he brought home this one gift, and he gathered the children, the daughters in the room, and he and he said to them, all right, girls, here's the one gift. And it's a gift that all of them wanted. And he said, okay, um, who ought to get this one gift? And, and so the, uh, the, the daughters, each one of them, oh, me, 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 right? And he said, okay, tell me who has been the most obedient, the one who has done everything that mama has said to do and hasn't given any kind of back talk. Everybody waited, all the girls hushed silence for about two seconds, and then they said in, uni- in unison, okay, Dad, you get the gift. <laughs> Y'all, that is a really good, funny story. It, it really is. Anyway, <laughs> and my wife would say, yeah, it's not as funny as you think it is. But anyway, or it's funnier than you told it. That's what she would say. Um, it is Father's Day, and and as we prepare for uh, this day and as we uh, journeyed through it, you've gotten your Happy Father's Day, you've sent Happy Father's Days, um, I, I want us to, to understand a little bit more about what it takes to be satisfied and have meaning in life as a dad, but really as a follower of Jesus. Um, as we look at 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're only going to look at really three verses, um, you know, we'll mention others, but we'll really dig into three verses. As we look at this passage, uh, what we hear from the Apostle Paul, I mean the Apostle Peter, is that um, there is hope for us to have a meaningful life. And everybody wants a meaningful life. Everybody, no matter who you are, whether you're religious or not religious, you want a meaningful life. You want a life that, that is satisfying and that will make a difference. Every person here wants a meaningful life. Uh, the people with whom you work or go to school, they want a meaningful life. They want a life that makes a difference and, and a life that's satisfying. Everybody wants a meaningful life. And what Peter wants us to grab and what God really wants to teach us today is that there is hope to have meaning in life. Um, there's hope to have meaning in life as we follow the design of life. God's design, really, and, and this is where we kind of part company with desire and, and everybody else. We, we say that the only way that you can find meaning in life is by following the design that God has given us. And that makes sense. If, if you're not working according to a particular, to the design for which you've been made, then you're not going to be content. You're not going to be satisfied. Think of it this way. Um, in my house, there is a drawer. You open that drawer, and there are probably half a dozen phones, uh, cell phones, uh, smartphones that got dumb pretty quick. Again, that was good. I, I'm sorry. That, that was a good line. That was a good line. Wasn't that a good line? I mean, you had as a, a drawer full of smartphones that got dumb pretty quick. Think about that. that I know y'all aren't as quick. I know. I know. Good. Uh, Kurt. What I meant by that is that those phones stopped working. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Um, 
hey, we're not doing live stream today, so I am like way out of it, right? I mean, I am all over the place. Uh, I am not constrained by live stream today. It is so exciting. Um, but uh, so I, we have in our house this drawer, has, uh, it's filled with phones that don't work anymore. Now, the purpose of these phones, and I've got mine right there on the pew uh, front seat. Now, these phones used to, old school phone, you know what it was for, make calls. You, you would pick up a, a phone and you would call. And that's old school. Even the old school, you know, uh, you remember the car, you remember those car phones that we used to have, those things that looked like uh, uh, Gordon Gecko on the beach phone, right? If y'all have watched Wall Street, it, it's the big monster phone. We thought, man, I got one of these. I'm, you know, I got all this stuff. Um, and then the car phones and all that kind of stuff. Even those, those were designed to make and take calls, right? That's, that's what they were. My, uh, you pick up the phone, you make a call. Now, phones today, they're not for making calls. I, I don't call a lot of people on my phone, nor do I receive a lot of calls, uh, except for my family. That's, those are the people that I talk. The smartphones today, they're not just designed to make calls. You can do uh, video calls. Video calls. That's frightening. People get to see me. Right? That's scary. I don't want you to look at me. I figured out that you could just make it a voice call on a video call. You, take the, you can send and receive emails on these things. That means people in Timbuktu can send me a dissertation about all the things that they want me to do for them. And, and, and I receive that. It, and, or, or texting. Texting. Some of y'all are texting right now. Texting. Texting and then and then all the DMs that you can do on social media and and uh, and Snapchatting and all those t- I don't know what Snapchat is but you can do all these things on these smartphones. Bottom line, they, these things are designed to communicate, at some level to communicate. But when the phones stop communicating, don't get them to work anymore. They're they're not fulfilling that for which they were designed. And you throw them in a drawer, never to think of them again. I think what God doesn't want to see happen for you or me is he doesn't want us to forget that for which we were designed and wake up in the middle of the day and we're just like a dumb phone stuck in a drawer that doesn't have any usefulness. You realize that God has designed you and me in a particular way so that we would find meaning and satisfaction and make a difference. So I think what we see in this passage is, um, and, and again, this is so simple. I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't want to pretend like it's complex. It's real simple. We're going to look at verse 5. And in verse 5, Peter says, this is who you are. He gives us identity statements about us as followers of Christ. And then at the end of verse 5, he gives us purpose statement. This is what you're supposed to do as a follower of Jesus. And in verse 9, go ahead and look at verse 9. Again, he gives us identity statements. This is who you are as a follower of Jesus. And then he gives us purpose statement at the end of verse 9 that tells us what we're supposed to be about what we're supposed to do. I love passages like this because I'm really not that smart, and I like it when, when God's Word just tells me straight up what I'm supposed to be doing. That, doesn't that make it easier? Or maybe it makes it harder because it makes it harder for us to ignore uh, 
the straight up what God wants from us. God has designed you and me in a particular way. And when we follow that design, then we will be satisfied. That is what Jesus has done for us. So, so look, look at verses 4 and 5. First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. Now, uh, read along. We'll come back to verse 4 at, at closer to the end. Uh, verse 4, coming to Jesus as to a living stone, rejected by men, chosen by God, and precious. Verse 5, you also as living stones are being built up to a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer, here's purpose statement, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse 6, therefore it's contained in Scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. He who believes on Jesus will by no means be put to shame. So, so in verse 6, he's using Scripture of the Old Testament to say Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the living stone of verse 4. Living stone means that he is the, he is the one to whom we go to get life. Okay? doesn't mean merely that he is not dead. It means that Jesus is the one we go to to get life. He is the life giver, okay? Uh, So he's the living stone. Now in verse 6, he's the chief cornerstone. And if we depend on him, if we believe on him, if we build our life on Jesus, again, not our ambitions, not our desires, not what we think is best, but when we build our life on Jesus, the chief cornerstone, we will by no means be put to shame. Reverse that. We will be satisfied. Okay? All right, everybody with me so far? So we build our lives on Jesus. We've got, we're building our life on the solid ground that's stable and secure, and we won't be ashamed, but rather we will be satisfied. We will have meaning in our lives because we'll be making a difference for God in our lives. All right, that's verse 6. And then verse 7 gives the opposite. Okay? So if we build our life on Jesus, then we'll, we'll have a solid foundation. We'll not be put to shame. We will be satisfied. Verse 7 is the opposite of that. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those, here it is, to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected became the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. So he said, okay, so if you don't build your life on Jesus, but you reject what he says, and, and, and you go your own way, you follow your own ambitions, your own desires, your own emotions to the exclusion of Jesus, then here's what's going to happen. You're going to be stumbling a lot like you're walking in the dark. You're going to be stumbling and falling. You're not going to be satisfied. You're not going to find purposeful meaning in your life because you're not living according to your design. Now, just as a phone has a design, dads have a design. All right, today's Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. I've already said it, but let me say it again just to give double mention. And this is, this is an important day to dads, at least dads who care. Today is a good day to celebrate. Happy Father's Day. But can I tell you, being a father is one of the most satisfying and meaningful things in my life. Four beautiful daughters, one son-in-law, and I'm daddy to all of them. I love it. I love it, love it, love it. 
I love every minute of it. Even the hard times, I'm satisfied in those hard times. Even when uh, through the course of their life and they're almost to the edge of that season where I don't have to, I mean, you know, they're adults. (laughs) Anyway, but there were times as they were growing, some of y'all have walked that path, some of you are walking that path, some of you don't even know what I'm talking about, but you will. There's seasons in their life where they become extra I mean, just extra, extra stubborn, extra emotional, extra condescending, extra, I mean, just extra. In those seasons of extra, I've still had great joy and satisfaction. Now, the reason, not all the time, but most of the time, because here's what I do. I try to follow God's design for being a dad. Now, what I have seen is I have friends, you have friends, maybe you're one of those friends, and you have decided that being a dad is raising your children up so that by their performance or achievements, they satisfy your ego needs. And so my children make straight A's, I'm satisfied as a parent. Uh, My children make good decisions at school and never get detention. I'm satisfied. I'm a little disappointed, but it's satisfied mostly. Y'all are not laughing. That was funny. (laughs) My children children make the football team or the basketball team or the lacrosse team or the ballet elite team. And I... That's my child. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't be proud of your kids. What I'm saying is a dad, what I've seen is fathers who get their satisfaction from the achievements of their children. The problem with that is there's going to be seasons where your children do not achieve in such a way that gives you satisfaction. And that's when you start as a dad not following God's design, you start getting harsh and ugly and hateful. I know a dad who didn't talk to their child for almost four weeks. I mean, not a word, because their child made a C in a class. Guys, I'm telling you, that is the epitome of how not to be satisfied. Because you're not following the design. What's God's design for fatherhood? God's design for dads is that we would nourish, nurture, encourage, correct, and inspire our children so that they find health emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Most importantly, spiritually. It's our job to pour into them, not their job to make us happy. Do Do you understand there's a difference there? The design is for me to pour myself out so that my children grow healthy, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. That's my job. And as long as I'm fulfilling that design... It doesn't matter how my children respond. And it can be hurtful. It can be painful. It can be sad. It can be tragic. But as long as I'm fulfilling my design, the design that God has given me as a dad, there will be a sense of meaning and satisfaction in my fatherhood. Not pain-free, but meaning and satisfaction. The meaning comes in how I fulfill the design that God has given me. 
So when you and I are looking at this passage, I want us to see that God has designed you. If you're a follower of Jesus, God's designed you in a particular way so that you can have a meaningful life. But that comes first and foremost from Jesus. Jesus is the only way for us to have a meaningful life. And, and that's, that's the hope we have, the hope that Peter talked about in 1 Peter chapter uh, 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We have hope, not because of our own efforts or our own work, we have hope because of Jesus. And what has Jesus done? Jesus has wiped away the old and made everything new. Jesus has taken my sin, nailed it to the cross, died for me, cleansed me, forgave me so that I could walk in the newness of life so so that the old is gone, new has come, so that I might live in immediate intimacy with God the Father. He has paved the way so that I might have hope. And hope is not just wishing something to happen. We've talked about this, but hope, the kind of hope that many of us have. You know, when I was a teenager, I hoped for a date. And it never came, right? And many of us define hope that way. We define it as a wishing something will happen. No, 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 no. That's not hope. Hope is the confident expectation that God, who has worked marvelously and gloriously in days past, will continue to do it in the present and continue to do it in the future. That God will, not God may, God will. Hope is the confident expectation that, that God is going to operate according to the design that he has established. And what is that design? That design is as we live our lives according to the identity and design that he's established, then we will find meaning in our life. Now, break it down, verse 5. Okay, so here's verse 5. Verse 5 begins with statement, an assertion. He says, um, he says that uh, uh, coming to him as living, uh, that, that, that we are living stones, that God is building up to a spiritual house, and he calls us, a holy priesthood. Okay, so, so here, here are the, here's the language. We're living stones. That means that we're like Jesus, who is the living stone. We're connected to him. And everything works when we're connected to Jesus. Nothing works when we're not connected to Jesus. If you're here today and you're not connected to Jesus, nothing is going to work for you. Not satisfying. Not, not, not for contentment, not for peace, not for hope, not for courage. I mean, you might have bursts of that every now and then, but if you're not connected to Jesus, then, then everything's going to be walking with a limp at best. But because we're connected to Jesus, we're called living stones, like he is the living stone. We're connected to him. We have his character. We have his nature. We want to be more like him. So we are like living stones. Now, what is God doing? Well, he is growing us up or building us up into a spiritual house. As followers of Jesus, through, um, through the work of the Holy Spirit, by the word of God, chapter 2, verse 2 and 3, that we're supposed to crave the pure milk of God's word that we might be able to grow. And God is growing us up into a spiritual house. Now, a couple of things. Um, your faith is not just a private endeavor for your own personal use. 
A spiritual house means that God is creating all of us and growing us all up so that we all are a spiritual house. And what are we all to be doing? We are all to be fulfilling the function of a holy priesthood. Do you realize that if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a priest? Yeah, I'm not, I'm, I, I'm a priest, but I'm not your priest. Jesus is your priest. I'm just a priest like you're a priest. You don't need me to talk to God. You've already got Jesus, who's the intermediary between you and God. You are a priest. And what does a priest do? A priest serves God. That's why you're here. Here is the design. Make no mistake, your design is not for you to be happy. Nothing wrong with being happy. Nothing wrong with it, but that's not your design. If you live your life so that you can be happy, you're going to be unhappy. You're going to be discontented. See, our, our, our design is not for me to pursue my ambitions, good or bad. I've got some good ambitions. I've got some pretty rotten ambitions. But, but pursuing my ambitions, that's, that's not my design. My design is not to serve Eric Thomas's kingdom. We giggle, but that's what we do. We're serving our own kingdoms. We're putting ourselves as the king of our, uh, of our world. And, and so we want to serve ourselves. And, and we keep doing that. And we wonder why it is as followers of Jesus we're discontent. It's because you're not following the design that God has established. God is building us up for a purpose. And to a spiritual house for a purpose. And to a holy priesthood for a purpose. And what is that purpose? What's the purpose statement? Verse 5. To offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable or pleasing to God. We can have a meaningful life as long as we, through our work and worship, give ourselves wholeheartedly for God's pleasure. Now, here's the thing. In church, now, spiritual house, that's, that's a church picture. That's a community metaphor. That's, that's you and me here, First Baptist Norfolk. And, and so many people get dissatisfied with the church. Now, why do people get dissatisfied? Let me get down here. Again, we don't have camera. Why do people get dissatisfied with the church? People get dissatisfied with the church because they want something their way, and they're not getting it their way. Uh, they, they want something the way it used to be, and it's not that way anymore. They like songs that they used to sing. It's on their playlist back when they were teenagers, and we don't sing those playlist songs anymore. Uh, they, they want the preacher not to wear a T-shirt on a Sunday morning and look at him. He's wearing a T-shirt. And we're focused on all these things that we want as if that were the measure by which we are to grow and be satisfied in church. See, the minute you start evaluating church based upon what makes you happy is the minute that you have decided that dissatisfaction in church is going to be your way of life. We are satisfied in church when we fulfill the purpose, the design that God has given us. What is the design? That you and I together, growing up as followers of Jesus, would offer spiritual sacrifices for God's pleasure. It's not us receiving, it's us giving. One of the, one of the you know, tidbits that we talk about in church, a consumer mindset. Well, we all have consumer mindset. I don't, like, I don't like the coffee we serve in the fellowship hall. I mean, I really don't. I don't like it. 
When we do coffee out here on Sunday mornings, it's probably gone by the 11 o'clock. When we do coffee out here, I make the coffee. Because I, isn't that terrible? I do it to serve you. No, I do it because I like the coffee I make, and I don't like the coffee in the fellowship hall. We all, you see what I'm saying? We all have this problem, right? We all do. I've got it, you've got it. But can I tell you, that when we start doing church with the mindset that everything is supposed to make me happy, we have determined that, that dissatisfaction in the church is our way of life. We're not here to be served. We're here to serve. We're called priests so that we might, through worship and work... And by the way, here's the thing. You go to work, here's the question. The filter that every... Every decision that you make, whether it's at work or at school, whether it's in your marriage or whether it's uh, with your children or with your parents or grandparents or grandchildren, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, here's the question. Not, will this make Eric Thomas happy? Not, will this make Billy Joe happy or Susie Q happy? The question we ask is, will this please God? How can I respond to this situation in such a way that brings pleasure to God? How can I work with my friends and coworkers in a way that pleases God? Not, not what can make me happy. You see the difference? The minute we start pursuing our personal pleasures or ambitions as though that were the goal is the day we've disconnected from the design that God has given us and we have determined to walk a path of dissatisfaction. But the minute we say God's pleasure is my highest ambition is the day we walk the path of meaning and satisfaction. That's the way you're designed. That's why when Paul, when Peter says, hey, listen, you're a spiritual house and you're a holy priesthood, he tells you why. To make spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Look, you weren't saved just so you can be happy. You were brought into the family not just so you can escape hell. You were saved so that you and I could serve God together for his pleasure, not for our accolades. We have a meaningful life when we worship and work for God's pleasure. And then secondly, um, go down to verse 9. We have a meaningful life when we proclaim God's praises to the world. Now, verse 9, statement of who we are. Do you realize that, that meaningful life and satisfaction doesn't come from what we do. It comes from who we are. In fact, I would suggest that we don't gain our identity by what we do but rather we should be doing based upon our identity. For instance, I am a pastor. That's not my identity. That's what I do. What is my identity? Let's read verse 9. You, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is you. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Get it? Hey, listen, you've been chosen by the God of creation to belong to him, to belong to him. Not, not, he's not your Santa Claus. You are his servant. 
You get it? There's a difference. We belong to him. We are his people. We are his possession. But he has brought us into his family. We belong to him. He chose us. Wow. He looked at Eric Thomas. He said, yeah, yeah, we'll take him. He chose us. He made us right in his sight, a holy nation. He made us fit for his family, a holy nation. And then he calls us a royal priesthood. Again, this idea of priesthood, we are here to serve the king, to represent the king. You're here. Get it. You're here. You're at work. You're at, at school. You're at home. You're, you're in your neighborhood. You're in your, your, your bridge club. You're at, you're at the golf course. You're on the fishing street. Wherever you are, if you're a follower of Christ, you are here to serve the king to represent him in a way that's pleasing to him. So how do we do it? By proclaiming the praises of the one who brought us out of darkness and brought us into light. Do you see the purpose statement? Again, it's real simple. It's not complex. This isn't hard stuff. He says, this is who you are, chosen generation, holy nation, royal priesthood, his own special people. Now here's the purpose so that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 10, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Guys, you want to know why you're dissatisfied? It's because you're living for yourself and not for the king. It's just that simple. I am dissatisfied. When I am proclaiming the praises of Eric Thomas or Eric Thomas's children or Eric Thomas's church, and I'm not even mentioning the God who brought me out of darkness into his marvelous light through the love of Jesus Christ, oh God, forgive me for failing to fulfill the design for which I've been created and newly created as a follower of Jesus. Are you fulfilling your design? I know, look, we'll talk about Steph Curry in game six and how impotent he was we'll talk if you don't know he was we'll talk we'll talk about about who uh who who got drafted um for which team and and who's going where and and we'll talk about we'll talk about uh, the u.s open championship and can kepka make it Make a run at it. You know, we'll, we'll talk about all these wonderful, wonderful things. And nothing wrong about talking about it. There's nothing wrong with that. I'll talk about my girls and how they're making grades or how they're doing work. Or, and there's nothing wrong. I'll talk about my wife, and I'm going to sing her praise. She made me Louisiana gumbo for lunch. Happy Father's Day. <laughs> hey, I, I mean, there's nothing wrong with talking about that. But I was designed to talk about the one who gave me life. You, you have a calling, a mandate, not just to talk about your friends who you know are already believers are going to say, give you a good amen. We're supposed to talk to the people who are far from God. We're supposed to be shouting into the darkness, Jesus can't help you. But we don't. You know why we don't? Well, I, I can't speak for you. I know why I don't. You know why I don't? Because I'm afraid people are going to think I'm a little weird. And that's a real short leap for me. (laughs) 
If I preach another 30 minutes, y'all are going to be laughing at all my jokes, right? <laughs> it is. I, I'm scared people are going to think I'm strange. Yeah, and saying so doesn't help. It, it doesn't help. I mean, all of us struggle with that. That is why people don't talk about Jesus. They don't want people to think they are different. But that is never a reason not to tell the praises of the one who brought you out of darkness into light. It is never a reason, just because it's hard, or you're afraid somebody's going to think you're strange, or your coworker's going to stop inviting you to the kegger. Not everybody laughed at that, but y'all... Y'all think I'm joking. Uh, he's a holy roller. Don't tell them you're Baptist. It'll be okay, right? That, they'll still invite you. Tell them you're Episcopal. It w- <laughs> See, y'all keep loosening up. Keep loosening up. That's all right. Now, you know what I'm saying? I, we just don't want people to think we're different. But can I tell you, you are. Your identity is not with this world. Your identity is with the King of glory for all eternity, and we must live for His pleasure, and we must proclaim His praises. We've got to tell people about, yeah, you're, I know you're struggling, but Jesus can help. In fact, Jesus is the only way you're going to get some help. Are you telling people about the... And they might say, well, you just don't know my situation. You're right, but I can tell you this. The only help I've really had to make an eternal difference in my life is Jesus. He can help. You don't have a meaningful life because you're satisfying your own ambitions or pursuing your own desires. That never brings satisfaction. You have a meaningful life when you follow the design, your identity as a holy priesthood a spiritual house, a chosen people, a holy nation, God's own special folk. When you fulfill that design by living for his pleasure and proclaiming his praises, then everything changes. So how do you do it? What do you need to do to help get to the place where you are living a meaningful life? What what do you need to do? Well, first... Uh, just go down to verse 11, and that, I just mentioned this. Just read verse 11 and, and, and then hear the, the application. Verse 11 says, As sojourners and pilgrims stop pursuing fleshly lusts. You know what that means? It's exactly what I said last week. You want to experience hope for a meaningful life, you've got to get rid of your junk. You've got to get rid of your junk. Stop rationalizing your sin as if it's okay. There are very acceptable sins that we embrace as a church. I mean, we don't embrace them, but we wink at them. Gossip. Wicked talk. Thoughts in my mind that I don't say on my mouth. We act like all that's okay. Don't rationalize. 
You know, as a pastor, as a preacher, and as a follower of Jesus for many, many years, I've realized that the older I get, the more subtle my sins become. And so the more radical I have to be with the subtle sins that I have. My sins are more subtle. They're not going to be the out loud Las Vegas lifestyle sins that you're going to see. At least, not that I live out loud. You see what I'm saying? I've got to get rid of that junk. I can't hold on to it. If I'm going to fulfill the purpose for which I'm designed, I've got to get rid of my junk. I've got to confess my sin regularly and repent of it ruthlessly. Get rid of my junk. And secondly, verse 4. Coming to Jesus as to a living stone, rejected by men, chosen by God and precious. It's really the command mandate here. You want to live a meaningful life. You want to have a life that's rock solid, then you got to come to Jesus. Come to Jesus means that you come to him in a personal relationship and you stay with him. You don't come to him just to get out of hell. You come to him and you stay with him. You build your life on him. Every, every experience is built upon this is Jesus living through me. Every decision. I want to please God the way Jesus pleases God. Every action. I want to praise God with my life, just like Jesus did. My life is built upon Jesus. So I come to him, and I come to him to find the nourishment for my soul that I desperately need. Can I tell you, sometimes... The life that I lead is a lonely life. It's not because you're not friendly and it's not because you don't want to be family. You do. But because my own broken pieces, and they're my broken pieces, because my own broken pieces, being the pastor can be a lonely life. It can. I'm thankful for close friends. I'm thankful for my wife mostly. I can turn to her about anything. Thankful for my daughters who love me. And they might not understand every broken piece of Eric Thomas. I'm thankful for my dad and my mom, but my dad. Because no matter what I faced, no matter what I did, no matter what I do, I can always come to dad. And he's not always going to say the soft thing, but he's always going to say the Jesus thing to me. He's not going to always say, oh, Eric, it'll be okay. (laughs) He'll say, Eric, it can be okay, but you've got to get rid of your junk. Eric, it can be okay, but you've got to start making decisions based upon what Jesus says. I'm thankful that my dad is my dad, but he's my friend. And I can come to him. And I find strength in that relationship. You realize that even more than my earthly father, Jesus is ready. I mean, you got to lean back in his arms. Trust him. That idea of believing on Jesus isn't just about, I want to be saved. It's about, I want to be safe. It's about trusting him in your everyday experience with your marriage with your children, with your money, with your hurt. 
even with the broken pieces of who you are. You come to Jesus and he will hold you. I mean, this is amazing. As bad as I've been and I've been rotten, Jesus has always opened his arms to me. He said, bring your broken pieces and I'll bring you back together again. And he does. Come to Jesus so that you can really sing and experience that it is well with my soul. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, I just want to thank you for this time you've given us to worship you, and I pray that as we respond to your word today, I pray that you would just speak to the hearts of those who gathered and, oh God, just help for us to come to you and find strength. First of all, help for us to get rid of junk that we've got. Some of us have sin that we've been holding on to and excusing and rationalizing, but God, you call us to let that go. So let us come to Jesus with a repentant heart. I pray that for those in the room who have not yet embraced Jesus as Lord and Savior, I pray that today they would admit their need to be forgiven their sin, that they would believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died on a cross to forgive their sin and was raised from the dead to give them new life. And then I pray that they would commit themselves to you, Lord Jesus, as the King of their life, and they would experience new life through faith in Jesus, that they would come to Jesus. I pray that you would fill our hearts with the nourishment of your presence and give us that calm confidence in the face of whatever. Lord, help for us to come to you and find peace for our anxiety, comfort for our despair, wholeness to replace our brokenness and joy to overwhelm our sorrows. All from the hand of Jesus, our great physician. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray.